Um, so this morning, I just want you to close your eyes for a minute. And I'm going to ask you a question. And I don't want you to shout it out or tell me or tell your neighbour. I just want you to think about it in your head. And the question is, what is it that you want in your life? What is it that you want in your life? Just have a think. It might be something that's for now. It might be something for the future. What is it that you want in your life? Your answer might have been, I really want my Sunday lunch. My tummy's rumbling. (laughs) It might have been, I really want a new job. It might have been, I really want to go on holiday. Or I really want to lose weight. Or I really want to move house. Those things aren't wrong, but actually this morning, I believe God is asking us a deeper question than that. So I want you to close your eyes again. And I believe God is asking us as individuals and as a church family, what are you desperate for in your life? So not only what do you want in your life, but what are you desperate for in your life? Let me put it another way. What are you passionate about What are you passionate to see or to do? So what is it that you're desperate for in your life? Just have a think in your head about that. Okay, I was going to go on to say that the word desperate means having a great need or desire for something. And passionate means having passion or showing passionate passion caused by strong feelings or beliefs so just hold that in your head and hold that question as I'm speaking hold that question in your head okay um this morning I'm going to be quite vulnerable with you and I'm going to let you into a part of my life that I haven't really shared with many people before so that you know I trust you guys with who I am and um don't worry it's nothing bad But I'm going to be a bit vulnerable with you, okay? And um, so Ben's already kind of said what I'm talking about. And really what I'm talking about is preparing for new birth. Okay, what I'm going to talk about is about babies. It's nothing squeamish. Don't worry. Um, Just to give you a bit of Mark and my history, um, the first night that we had our our first proper conversation, it was back in 2011, And um, we talked about many different things, but he asked me what I wanted to be in life. And that was a bit of a... uh, 2001, sorry, yeah. Just, you know, two years ago. Lots happened in two years, three years, four years. No, 2001, sorry. Um, Yeah, so he asked me what I wanted to be in life. And in that instant, a few things went through my head. I thought, well, should I tell him that I'd like to be a professional dancer, although that was never going to happen, um, an events organizer, a PA to an executive boss, maybe? You know, did those things sound like I had some aspirations in life? Um, or should I tell him that what I really wanted to be was a wife and a mum? And I went with the latter and awaited his response. And it felt like quite a while I was hanging but it was actually quickly he just told me that that was so refreshing to hear because a lot of his female friends at that time wanted to be high-flying career women that was really all they're out to do is climb the ladder and be high-flying career women there's nothing wrong with that by the way (laughs) just want to add that in you know we need people in the upper echelons of business in every sphere in life we need Christians up there so there's nothing wrong with that but that's not what I was out for in life Um, So he told me it was really refreshing to hear that. And um, I was relieved (laughs) at that response. I didn't know at this point that he was going to become my husband. But I was relieved that I'd kind of opened myself up and told him really what I wanted to be in life and that he responded to that well. Um, So two months later, Mark gave his life to Christ. So he wasn't a Christian when I met him. 
And one month later after that, we got engaged. Ten months later, we got married. Two years after we were married, Mark went to Bible college for a year. And that year, I found myself pregnant with Neve, with our first baby. And she came along in October 2005. And then Noah came along in 2007. And Nathaniel completed our family in 2009. And that is the last 14 years of the Kelly family in a nutshell. And I absolutely love being a mum. Now, don't get me wrong, there are really hard moments. Um, I'm sure any parents in the room will agree with that. And there are challenging days, especially during the summer holidays. And sometimes it gets pretty overwhelming, actually. And no, I'm not any supermum. Supermum doesn't exist. <laughs> um, and when Mark and I had spoken about having children, right from the early days, we each said that we wanted to have three children. And hey, presto. <laughs> We have three children, we're, and we're so thankful that God has blessed us with those children, um, this, those special treasures to look after, to shape, to encourage, to challenge, to nurture, and most of all, to love. And this is the part that I haven't really shared before with many people. Um, some of you may know that all my kids were born by cesarean section, and I won't go into the details of why this came about, but that is how they arrived into this world and after Nathaniel came along, the doctors advised me to have another operation at the same time so that I couldn't have any more children because they, they advised me that it wouldn't be good for me and for my body to go through a major operation again like that. So Mark and I spoke about that and we decided that was the right thing to do and we felt at peace about that. So that's what, that's what happened. And um, so, yeah, that all happened. I enjoyed getting to know my third baby and having my three, three children around me. And then it got to Nathaniel's first birthday. And it would have been around this point that we would have been trying for another baby had, had we followed the same pattern as the others, because somehow there is 21 and a half months between the kids. Somebody knows what he's doing. Um, and so we, had we been following the same pattern, we would have been trying to have another baby. And... Um, I found it very difficult at that time, the decision that we'd made, that I'd made. I took the responsibility on myself, the decision that I'd made. I found it really difficult um, because it was so final. And I felt uh, guilty that um, because I felt like I'd taken the decision out of God's hands somehow by choosing that. Um, I felt guilty because we said, we'd said we only wanted three children. There I was kind of desperate for a fourth child. Um, so, you know, I, I should be grateful for what I was given and what I'd asked for. Um, and I, I found myself desperate for another child. Um, I felt, um, I found myself praying to God time after time for a miracle that, you know, God actually hadn't taken the decision out of God's hand because he's bigger than any decision we make. And I know that God is a miracle working God. And so I found myself praying to God many times, God, you can, you know, you can reverse this. You can give us another child. Um, and then I would just feel guilty for praying that prayer. It was just a whole lot of kind of guilt and desperation in there. And I'd feel really stupid for even thinking that it was a possibility that we could have another baby. Um, and at those times, I was reminded of Hannah in the Bible, and how she yearned for a son. And if you've got your Bibles with you, please could you turn to 1 Samuel and verse 9, and we're going to read that together. 1 Samuel, verse 9. I'll start reading and you can catch up. 
1 Samuel verse, sorry, 1 Samuel 1 verse 9. Um, I'm, this is from the New Living Translation. So it says, once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I'll give him back to you. He'll be yours for an entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her. Seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, he thought she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. Oh no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged and I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think that I am a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Then she went back and began to eat and she was no longer sad. The entire family got up the next morning and went to worship the Lord once more. Then they returned home to Ramah. When Elkanah slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea. And in due time, she gave birth to a son and she named him Samuel. For she said, I asked the Lord for him. For me, being pregnant and having a life growing inside me and then having the baby was just so miraculous. In fact, the most miraculous thing that I've ever experienced and been involved with in my life. So not to be able to witness and experience that again, I think was what was really hard for me. And I don't know if any other mums in the room can relate to that. Um, So why am I telling you all of this? Why am I letting you into this? part of my life. Well, I've wondered for the past six years why I've gone through this process. And just recently, God's revealed to me why. Because the desperation to have another baby is the same desperation that God wants me and us to have to see new birth in the kingdom. You know, sometimes we go through things in the natural because God wants us to see it from the supernatural and he wants to use it for that. Uh, he wants to bring us into that understanding and that realization of what it feels like. You know, he feels like that about each of his children that are not yet, have not yet been reconciled with him. That same desperation, he feels that in his heart. And as his children who know him, we also have got to come to a place where we're desperate to see that. So God's just really been revealing to me that he wanted me to be let in on how he feels. Um, So, you know, I'm just in case you're concerned or anything, I'm fine now with, you know, it's been six years since we had Nathaniel. And, you know, I know that God's plan for our lives is to raise our three children and to, you know, build the church and see his kingdom come. And, And I'm fine with that. But I had to go through that because I wouldn't have grasped it. I, I could have grasped it another way, but But that's just the process. That's the journey God's taken me on. So I understand now why I've gone through that. Does that make sense? So I, let me find my place in the notes. Um, Yeah, I have such a desire to see new birth into the body of Christ and for God's kingdom to grow. And it's a growing desire. I'm not there at the peak of it, but it's growing all the time inside me. And um, when you desire something desperately, it consumes you, doesn't it? 
it, you can't think about anything else. It's kind of like being in love. You can't think about anything else. Everything you do is fueled by the desire that you have. And you're always looking towards that which you desire. So, you know, shouldn't we be like that when it comes to um, those people who are lost? You know, like we once were. They're lost. They need to know God. So shouldn't we be desperate to see that happen? Um, last Sunday, Mark and I, we were still on holiday, um, but we were in Leeds. And so we went and visited Life Church Leeds. And it was really great to be with the people of God there. Because um, we don't often get to experience what other churches are like in, in our wonderful city. So we just took that opportunity. And um, we also went to a church while we were in Wales called Freedom Church. There you go. Um, anyway, Life Church Leeds, their service was at 11.30 a.m. So by the time we got home, it was about three and then we had some lunch. And then I felt so shattered by, you know, because we'd traveled back from Wales the previous day and I just felt really tired. And I thought, I'm just going to have a little nap. There's nothing better than a Sunday afternoon nap. Yeah, I'm sure a few people are with me. And um, anyway, have you ever, you so desperately wanted to have a, a sleep or a nap and get your head down and then God starts talking to you. And there's no way that you can go to sleep. Well, that happened to me. So I was desperately trying to get to sleep. And God just started speaking this stuff to me about preparing for new birth. So I paid attention and I took some notes. And um, I didn't have a nap. Uh, but that was fine. And um, I didn't know this at the time, but Jeff Newton was with you last Sunday, wasn't he? I don't know how many people were here. But he was with you um, last Sunday, that same day that we were at Life Church Leeds. And he received a word from God about us preparing for new birth. Now, he didn't share that. He wanted to share it with us and then, you know, allow us to share it with you guys. And um, I thought, wow, God God's wants to say something here. Um, and Jeff just really sensed God saying that this next 18 months is a really significant time in preparing for new birth. Um, I don't feel that means that we're not going to see any new birth, but God is taking us on a journey of preparing for the new birth that's going to come. Okay, so hold that as well. Um, so that to me is just a wonderful confirmation. So thinking about preparing for new birth. Um, kids, could you come and help me, please? Um, I just need to... Just bring that forward. Okay, so I want us to think about in the natural it might have been quite a while ago for some of us that we've had to prepare for new birth. For Ben and Hannah and Christopher, they've prepared for new birth very recently. Um, so I want us to think about um, things that we might need, practical things we might need to get ready to have a new baby um, you know, in the family. So um, I'm going to start with you, kids. Can you think of... And I'm talking about there's 10 essential items that I've been thinking. Can you think of what we might need to welcome a new baby into the family? An actual, like baby Elizabeth. What, what would we need? Show him around the place. Yeah, yeah. We can show Elizabeth around the place or whoever else it is. I'm talking about, think about what you did with those dollies down here. Um, give them toys. Toys, yeah. What about when they're really teeny weeny little babies like Elizabeth? Cornelius. Nappies. Nappies. Right. Somewhere here, I have some nappies. There. That one. Right. Cornelius, if you could 
put that up on this board for me, that would be great. Okay, so nappies, they're pretty essential, aren't they? Whether they're cloth or disposable, you need nappies when you have a baby. Okay, anything else, Neve? A cot. A cot. So if you could stick that up. Anybody else? A blankie. A blankie. Now, you guys, you've, I'm going to let some of the people say, because you've seen a few of these pictures, but blankies, yeah. Okay, Cornelius. Clothes. Clothes, yes. That, that should be there somewhere. Any grown-ups, any ideas of... Babysitters. Babysitters. <laughs> I haven't got a picture of that. Any, any other ideas, grown-ups, of what else we might need? Christine said a pram. A pram should be there. Sam? A baby bottle. A babies need milk. Which, whichever way it comes, they need milk. So, yes, we do have a picture of that. It should be towards the front. Um, yeah, Sam can stick that one up, yep. Baby bottles should be there as well. Okay. A dody. A dody, otherwise known as a dummy. That's not necessarily essential, but some people like to use dummies. Okay. Nathaniel? Love. Love! That is most definitely something that babies need. Yes, that's right. Now, we're going to talk about no, that's for the next bit. We are going to talk about love in our next bit, okay. But I haven't put that on here for the practical things, but that is something that babies need, a lot of love. Okay, what else do we have? Any, any other ideas? Bibs? Oh, we haven't got bibs, but we've got... Yeah. Like burp cloths or muslin squares. Can you put that, Neve, up there? Um... What about, where does a baby um, sleep? We know that it sleeps in a cot, but where does the cot go? In a bedroom or a nursery, yeah. So we've got a picture of a nursery there. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There's one more thing. <laughs> That's for the parents, isn't it? <laughs> Have we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine? Yeah, there should be... <coughs> a car seat. Very important. Important if you have a car. Okay, so brilliant. Okay, so these are practical things um, that a baby needs when it comes into the world. And we prepare. There are many other ways that we might prepare as parents to have a new baby um, by reading lots and maybe not reading too much. But, um, and, and these are the practical things that, um, oops, we, we might make sure are in place. Okay, thanks, kids. You can stay there because I need some more things stuck up there in a minute. Um, okay. So, what about preparing ourselves for spiritual birth? Okay, so f for those new babies that are going to come in and join our family. Um, I'm going to give you 10 things. I know that's a lot to fit into not very much time, but 10 things that um, I believe are important in our preparation. Um, all of these could actually probably be a separate preach, so I'm not going to go into very much detail, so I'm just kind of going to whiz through them. Okay, I'm just going to take these off because we need a bit of space to put the next things on. Okay, thank you. Let's put those down there. Okay, so the first thing is the Word of God. So 
somebody stick the word of God up there. So important. We need it. We need to read it. We need to know it. We need to understand it and we need to speak it. Okay. This is so important. I'm glad it's kind of been put in the center there because it's so important for our lives. Um, Let's look at, um, or you can just make a note of Colossians 3 verse 16. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We can only do that if we know this word. Okay, this is our handbook for life. Okay, it's so important, kids, isn't it? We need to know it and we need to understand it and then we can speak it out and the Holy Spirit helps us to speak the right words at the right time. Okay, the second thing is that we must keep cultivating our relationship with the Holy Spirit. We need to include him and invite him into our daily lives. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 12 says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. So the Holy Spirit helps us to understand God's word. Okay? And he helps us to make the right decisions and to walk right with God day by day. But, you know, the Holy Spirit's always there, but he is waiting for, for our invitation. He is waiting for us to get up from bed. And the first thing we say is, hi, Holy Spirit. Welcome to, you know, welcome to my day. I, I invite you in. I want to do everything with you this day. Because he's there. He's at our side. But he wants for us to include him and invite him into our lives. Okay. Number three is remembering our own new birth, remembering how we met God and where he, what we were like before and where he's brought us. Because we can often forget what it actually feels like to be lost in terms of not knowing God. Um, so it's so important that we keep remembering what we were like before, what God did in our lives that, that day or that week or that months where he just drew us to him okay and our testimony of our salvation particularly um that is the cross okay so it's all because of the cross is how god saved us isn't it and ephesians 2 1 to 8 and i'm reading from the new living translation says once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins that was us You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is a spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we are subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. And it's only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us up from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as an example of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. 
Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Wow. Just let that sink in. You know, we were once lost. We were once entrenched in sin. And God pulled us out and rescued us and saved us. And that's the life we live today. And he wants to do that for each and every one. Um, So that is um, remembering our own salvation, our own new birth into God's kingdom. Number four is read about or listen to other people's testimonies of how they became a Christian, how they received salvation. How many people were inspired by listening to this guy, Daryl Tunningley? Do you remember when he came last month? How many people were inspired by that? I was. I was inspired and provoked by what he shared. Um, You know, we need to read about what God is doing right now in our world. It's good to look to the past and what's happened in history, and we can be really encouraged by that too. But um, what is God doing right now in our world? Because he is moving. He is bringing transformation. He is restoring. And we need to know about that. And, um, you know, our God is not dead. He is alive. Hearing the testimony of what God has done increases our faith for what he will do. Yeah? Hearing what God has done increases our faith for what he will do. We have the same God who showed up to Saul. Remember Saul in the Bible? He was a guy who persecuted Christians. He killed Christians. And God met him on a road as he was traveling. Um, And he brought transformation in Saul's life. And Paul is who we know as the Apostle Paul. Um, who writes in the Bible, and his, he went on to tell so many people about Jesus and what Jesus had done. So um, that gives me great hope for what's going on in our world right now. God can show up and meet people in their darkest of dark places. You know, the pit of where people are. I think I put this on Facebook a couple of days ago. The pit that people can be sunk into is not deeper than the pit of God's love. You know, his love is greater than any dark pit that's around. So that gives me so much hope for what's going on. And we can, we can pray knowing that God is the same God that transforms Saul's life. Okay, the fifth thing is prayer. You know, we praying is not just giving God a shopping list of the things that we want. You know that question that I said, what do you want in your life earlier? You know, Prayer is not about just reeling off a list of things that we want God to do or give us. Um, Of course, he wants to know those things about us, but it's so much more, isn't it? You know, praying, um, by praying, by chatting to God, we've been talking about this in kids' work, haven't we? By chatting to God, that's all praying is, talking to our Heavenly Father God. We can call people into his kingdom, out of the darkness and into the light. We have the same authority that Jesus has and that he had on this earth. We have that. We can call people out of the darkness into the light. You know, the Holy Spirit will put people on our hearts to pray for. Maybe people that we don't even know, strangers, but we might not know what they look like, but God might tell us their name. He might tell us about the situation that they're in, what they're doing in their life right now, and we can pray according to what God shows us. Okay, so we can start praying for specific people in this community already. We don't have to wait till we meet them, either in here or out there. Um, 
So let's pray for open doors into this community for divine connections and divine appointments with people. You know, pray for us as leaders as we connect with other church leaders working in this area and, and other leaders, you know, politicians that we have bumped into and we're going to meet with. Um, because we want to work with others to see God's purposes achieved um, and, and fulfilled in this community. 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 6 says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf. So talk to God about people on their behalf because they don't know him yet. They, they, won't, they don't know that they can talk to him. Give thanks for them. Okay, let's give thanks for the people in this community. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives, marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. Okay, so that's prayer. Testimony. I've spoken about um, remembering how we got saved and we, yeah, that's the one, um, how we, yeah, were lost, but we became found by our Father God. Testimony. Testimony is more than just that one day when you said yes to God or that one week that you said yes to God. Testimony is about um, God's ongoing work in our lives and the journey that he's bringing us on. And let's remember, you know, write it down if that helps, but let's remember the things, the, the little things and the big things that God does. And by remembering, it leads us to a place of thanksgiving to him for what he has done. And it's so encouraging. I am so encouraged when somebody tells me what God's been speaking to them in their lives, what God's been doing. It might be the littlest thing that turn somebody's day around. But, you know, I join with them in thanking God for what he's done because God is all about the detail of our lives, isn't he? So testimony. Let's, let's speak out the goodness of God. Psalm 145, 4-7. It says, let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts um, and let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. You know, we, we can help each other in our own walk with God by sharing what's going on for us, what God's doing in our lives, and encourage each other and build us up. Um, but we need to use this. We need to use our mouths to share that, okay? Um, yeah, let's tell each other about how good God is. Let's share it on Facebook, blog about it, shout it from the roof, rooftops, use every means to tell of how good God is. Let's not be quiet. And um, what's it say in the Bible? That if, if we don't speak it out, the rocks will cry out the goodness of God. But God wants to hear it from our mouths. Okay, number seven is our own walk with God. And really all of this is kind of... Um, incorporated what I've shared so far is about our own walk with God but you know let's get serious 
Let's get serious about our own walk with God. Let's be committed, completely committed to his purposes. Let's be passionate. Remember, I I talked about passion before. What are you passionate about in your life? Let's be passionate for God. Let's live discipled and holy lives. 1 Peter 1, 13 to 16 says, so prepare your minds for action. It starts here, doesn't it? Before action, it starts in our minds. Prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. That's one of the gifts of the uh, fruits of the Holy Spirit. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Can we say that? Are we obedient children? Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do. Just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. That's Jesus. He's holy. Okay. Wow. That's quite sobering, isn't it? All right. Number eight, love each other. So can Nathaniel put that one up? Because you talked about love, didn't you, for babies? And that is so true. We, we need to love each other. John thirteen thirty four to 35. This is Jesus speaking. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And when Daryl, this guy here, when he shared his testimony last month, he encouraged us not to be so eager to start projects and do events in the community, but to concentrate on our love for one another. Does anyone remember that? And the next bit that he said, really, it really challenged me. He said, he provoked us, do we passionately pray for and encourage one another? So that us guys and the ones who we know part of our family who aren't here, do we do that for each other? Would we be willing to die for the person sitting next to us? The person sitting next to us might be in our natural family, and we can straight away say, yeah, I would be. What about those people who aren't in your natural blood family? Would we be willing to die for each other? That is so challenging, isn't it? So sobering. Okay, discipling each other is number nine. Discipling each other. It sounds very fancy, but it's just helping each other to grow in God to share God with each other and what God's doing, that testimony, and to encourage each other and study the word together. We've got this picture here. This is a group of people. They're, they're praying here, but they've got their, their word. They've got open in front of them, and they are encouraging each other, and they are helping each other to understand the word and to grow in God. You know, we can all do that for one another, can't we? You don't have to have been a Christian for 20 years to start doing that. We can do it right now. We've all got something. We, no one person has got it all. Um, we need each other. Yeah? Okay. Um, so who is discipling you and who are you discipling is the question I want to ask. Um, the Bible has loads to say about how we should treat each other and encourage each other. This is the family of God and build one, one another up. But here are a few verses. I'm just going to shoot through these. Colossians 3.16. Let the word, we've already read it actually. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. 
1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. So continue to do that. Hebrews 3.13, But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Okay, we can help each other falling into sin by encouraging and provoking and building each other up in God. Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Wow, I want that. I want that for my life. I want you guys to do that for me. I want to do that for you. Hebrews 10, 25 says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Guys, do you know what the day means in that verse. Shall I read that again? It says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Does anybody have a clue? When Jesus comes. Exactly. Nail on the head. That's the day when Jesus comes back for his, his bride, the church, us. Okay. Um, finally, 1 Peter 3, 8 says, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Okay, moving on. This is the last thing. Number 10 is giving. Let us continue to give to God's house. So the local church where you are being fed, where God's planted you, let's continue to give. Just like natural babies cost money. Do you know, I looked this up and it says that in a baby's first year of life, the most that they may cost is £7,200. That's the most in one year. One person, one year, a baby. Um, and as little as 1600 which is still a lot of money. Um, but just like natural babies, we need to budget to both evangelize, tell people about the good news about Jesus, and nurture and disciple these spiritual new, new spiritual babies. And we can't do that without committed people giving. I heard from a pastor friend of mine recently um, that he had resigned from being a minister in a Baptist church. Um, and it was because they'd been given £50,000. I don't know how big the church was, but they'd been given £50,000 uh, for evangelism, earmarked for evangelism. I don't know whether that was in one lump sum or bits and bobs, but for evangelism. And the rest of the committee, or however it works in Baptist churches or the treasurer, they weren't prepared to spend that, any of it actually. They wanted to put it over to something else. Um, so what was earmarked for that purpose, they wanted to use for another purpose. And he wasn't willing to be along for that ride. He wasn't willing to be in a church that was not outward focused, that didn't want to reach the lost. Um, it costs money. That's just the way it is. It costs money. So keep giving. There are so many generous people amongst us. And, you know, God sees that. He, God, God sees every penny, every pound, whatever it is, because it's to do with your heart, isn't it? I'm not going to go on a massive preach about that. Um, Deuteronomy 15.10 says, You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. Proverbs 11.24-25 says, There is one who scatters and yet increases all the more. And there is one who withholds what is justly due, and yet it results only in want. 
the generous man will be prosperous and he who waters will himself be watered. I love that. You know, God is just waiting to pour out his abundance and we can directly affect that. And it doesn't mean that if you give a certain amount, you're going to get that back. It could be in a completely different way. But God knows our needs and he sees our hearts and he sees our generosity. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 8 says, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do as he is purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Wow. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. He's so gracious. And he is so generous to us, isn't he? You know, I've been on the receiving end of God's generosity time after time after time. Um, he's so good he's so good to us so those are the 10 things i'm sorry i know that i just sped through them and chucked loads of verses at you but um i hope that you'll be able to just go back and maybe look and and reflect on those a bit more so church it's time to get serious it is time for us to be radical christians in this world radical means um especially to do with change or action relating to or affecting the fundamental nature of something, i.e. the world, far-reaching and thorough. Some words that tie into the word radical are thoroughgoing, thorough, complete, total, entire, absolute, utter, comprehensive, exhaustive, root and branch, sweeping, far-reaching, wide-ranging, extensive, profound, drastic, severe, serious, major, desperate, there's that word desperate again, stringent, forceful, rigorous. Now, some of those words may sound a bit edgy, um, and they might make us feel a bit uncomfortable, but take forceful, for example. It sounds aggressive, doesn't it? But how about us being forceful with the love and the grace of God? You know, it's a force to be reckoned with, but it's not violent. But it is a, it, it is, it is for, it is a force at work, isn't it? God's love and God's grace through us. Um, another meaning of radical is arising from or going to a root or source. Um, and this is to do with being planted. Uh, yeah, I won't go into all the, details about plants and stuff but um i just want to read ephesians three seventeen. it says then christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him your roots will go grow down into god's love and keep you strong and our roots must go down into christ and his love and then everything that grows up everything that comes up and grows through our lives comes up through christ and his love and we will bear great fruit through him the word, did you notice the word desperate's in there when talking about being radical? Um, and, you know, can we truly say, you know, that word, the question that I asked you at the beginning, what are you desperate for in your life? Can we truly say that we are desperate for God's kingdom to come? Are we truly desperate to see people released from darkness and be born again into the kingdom of light? Are we truly desperate to see and experience new birth amongst us in our church family? I believe that the desperation that I'm talking about can only come from the source, from God. So, you know, let's ask God to increase that. Just like I shared earlier about, you know, that 
desperation that's growing in me to see God's kingdom expand and new births happen. God, God is the one who put that there and is increasing that. I'm not kind of working that up or it's not coming from me, but it's coming from God and his desire and the journey he's taken me on. So, you know, let's ask God to increase this in us, to put his heart of love for the lost in us. Some people, you might be there already, and that's brilliant. And encourage us, please. But, you know, I really believe God wants us to, you know, there's that song, break, Lord, break our hearts for what breaks yours. You know, are we actually in that place where we can feel that and sense that for people who are lost? But God can increase that in us and give us that. And I believe that as we prepare ourselves for new birth, it is coming. New birth is coming. God's kingdom, you know, there's no end to the rule and government of God and his kingdom expanding. It is going to happen. And as we prepare for that, um, I believe we'll find ourselves feeling dissatisfied at the way things have been, at the way we've lived our lives, at the way our families have been, at the way our church family's been. We're going to become more and more dissatisfied with the norm you know, and God's going to take us on a journey. And, um, you know, he's brought us here. Ben said this before. He's brought us here to the east of Leeds to make a difference, to have an impact, to see people reunited with their father who loves them so very much that he sent his only son to die on the cross for them. To end, um, I want to read this as a provocation to us all to be radical believers and followers of Christ. And you may have read this before. It's some text and it's called The Fellowship of the Unashamed. Anybody read this before? Okay. All right. Well, it is said that the context for this writing is that in, and I don't know if this is right, there's various things on the internet, but that in 1980, a young man from Rwanda was forced by his tribe to either renounce Christ or face certain death. Sounds very familiar, doesn't it? And he refused to renounce Christ, and he was killed on the spot. And the night before, he had written the following commitment, which was found in his room. Now, whether that's true or not, it doesn't take away from what I'm going to read now. Okay, so it says, I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Christ Jesus. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed vision, worldly talking, cheap giving and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions few. My guide reliable. My mission clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, diluted, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I am a disciple of Christ Jesus. I must go till he comes, give until I drop, and preach until all I know, until all know. And when my time is up, he will have no problem recognizing me. My colors will be clear. Amen. Thank you guys for listening. In this house, we are real. But 
we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say sorry. We give second chances to anyone. And we also have lots of fun. In this house, we definitely forgive. We also do loud. We give the best hugs. We are family. And in this house, that means we, we love. love.